Friends, it's a joy to be with you again. Thank you. Um, what were the last two weeks of Advent? Anybody know? What was the theme? I heard peace in there. Come on, your pastor's here. Come on. Come on. Peace is one. What's another one? Hope. And this week is joy. Good. All right, I prepared the right message. Thank God. Thank you for laughing at my joke. Um, you know, it's funny. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I was preparing for this lesson. I told the pastor, I'm telling on myself. And I prepared a whole different sermon around joy. And then last night around 11 p.m., I remembered Advent. Oh, wait, I was like, I didn't even talk about baby Jesus. <laughs> so I had to like swipe everything and start over. It was fine. God showed up this morning. But today we're going to talk about the Advent season of joy. You already talked about peace and hope. Um, what about joy? So, you know, I started looking up the different words for joy. Um, in Palestinian, I think it's uh, bishir. In Spanish, it's gozo. In, I think, Hebrew, it's hara or chara, depending on, you know, Hebrew. Um, not Greek, Hebrew. Um, in Swedish, it's gladje. Alegria, also in Spanish, sorry, I'm Cuban, so they got, they got double representation in there. Um, Furaja in Swahili, ayo in Yoruba, Bukurie in Romanian, heyo in Chinese, Anan in Hindi, and Kiyupum in Korean. Yes, I practice that. Yes, I'm proud of that. But at the end of the day, there's all these words for happiness and cheerfulness and joy, but what do they mean? All these words have their different nuances, but... What makes them distinctive is where the joy comes from. You see, in creating the world, we're talking about the thing we're standing on, not the building, right? Like the waters and like Mariana Trench, volcanoes, hurricanes. You with me? The world. When God created the world, he called it good and all that he created in it. So naturally, people find joy in, in good and beautiful things, amen? For anyone who hasn't met me, you know you got to talk back to me, otherwise I will stop this sermon. I grew up Southern Baptist CMA, so when I ask you a question, I mean it. Thank you for answering so far. But at the end of the day, Psalm 65, 11 through 12, talks about growing crops or flocked grazing as something to find joy in. Psalm 104:15 talks about a bottle of wine is God's gift to bring joy to people's hearts. Again, in moderation. And don't fight it. It's in the scripture. So, <laughs> Jeremiah 33.11. Let me keep moving forward. Jeremiah 33.11 talks about people finding joy at a wedding. Or Proverbs 24-25. People finding joy in their kids. Especially when they don't have an attitude. Like my son did this morning when I said, get out of the bath so I can take a shower. No! And he went like this. And I was like, chop. I, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I didn't need to tell that. Anyway. But I still find joy in him. There's even a Hebrew proverb that talks about um, the joy you get in your nose in the presence of a good fragrance. As comparable to the joy of a good friend that brings joy to the heart. You see, although human history is not all about joy, amen? Thank you. She's holding it down for all you guys right now. 
The biblical story chronicles this, showing uh, a world mired in greed, abuses of power, control, selfishness, and harm against our own neighbors and even ourselves. A world full of death and loss, a death full of racism, genocide, victims of gun violence, sexism, and even broken hearts. So what in the world is there to be joyful about? Great question. Joy, according to scripture, is not a feeling. It's a choice and a behavior. According to the Christian, joy is not happiness. It is a choice and a behavior that is only privileged because we follow Christ. It's a choice and a behavior only available to you as you follow the Lord. You know why? Because of God's never-failing love. Because the joy in the Lord, check Nehemiah 8, is not rooted in your circumstances, but in who God is above them. Amen? Amen. Joy is rooted in our destination and God's promises, not our circumstances. That's why joy is a choice and a behavior that we get to have in him alone. Because without him, we are left and bereft in our circumstances. You see, joy in light of God is a move, is, 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 it requires a movement. You ever heard of the term, I can walk and chew gum at the same time? Joy is this reality that I can walk about, look at your neighbor and say walk about. I can walk about in suffering while chewing the gum of God's goodness that is yet to come. It's chewing the gum that, that, that is reminding me of the flavor of the good wine and the good land that I will taste that, is, that I have no reason to believe by one foot in front of the other. But because of God, I know that this, these feet will walk in different pastures. Michael, how do you know this? Well, Scripture. When the Israelites prayed for deliverance, anybody remember this? Under Pharaoh. How many years in slavery? 400 years. North American slavery of African Americans is similar to that many years. The amount of trauma that happens in that kind of generational enslavement. They cried out to God, please send us the Savior. Send us a deliverer. And who did he send? Moses. God sent Moses and they still wandered in the desert for how many years? 40 years, and yet they rejoiced anyhow. Psalm 105, 43. The joy of God's people is determined not by their present suffering, but by their assured destiny, because where did the people of God end up after 40 years? In the land of milk and honey. Because the, the steps that they took did not define their destiny. Because God is the one guiding them guiding us again in scripture again i'm not trying to make this up i'm telling you what scripture says we see isaiah the prophet amidst the oppression of foreign entities isaiah 51 11 that those redeemed by the lord will return to zion with glad shouts everybody say shout Shout. eternal joy crowning their heads happiness and joy will overtake them have you ever like were you ever here when pittsburgh won the super bowl what was that like 
Made you want to go kiss your neighbor. Well, maybe not the one on the right, maybe the one on the left, you know. But like, it, it made you want to just, just high-five people you don't know, buy people a drink that you don't even care about, right? In moderation. Right? <laughs> or non-alcoholic, you know. But here's the thing. The beauty of that feeling in that moment is what Isaiah is speaking about here. But you know what he's spe- you know who he's speaking to? People in the middle of not knowing if someone's going to come and kill them at night. Super Bowl. I can't trust the doors, the locks on my door. Right. Do you see this juxtaposition? Whilst awaiting said redemption, the people of God chose joy in anticipation of their redemption. And you know, this brings me um, to really the majority of the arc of much of Scripture, which is Jesus. Much of, of these promises of deliverance was foreshadowing Jesus to come. And I'm not talking about, you know, Will Ferrell's Talladega Nights baby Jesus, okay? <laughs> you know, even though it's a fun Jesus to pray to. But we're talking about the, 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 the promised one, the proof that, that God will deliver us. It is Advent season after all. There's mangers in all these churches Mangers and lawns. And what do we see at the centerpiece of that, of that scene? A baby. I ask you again, what do we see at the centerpiece of those scenes? A what? A baby. We celebrate the birth of a baby. But again, remember, the juxtaposition of joy, the context of joy is amidst suffering. There's not the absence of loss in the presence of joy. I'll prove it to you. We just talked about baby Jesus, yes? Do you not recall that amidst Roman occupation, not only Roman occupation, but the tyranny of King Herod, amidst this birth of Jesus, thousands of baby boys from the age of of zero to two were murdered, massacred. Some historical accounts have the number as high as 14,000. So we see a baby, we celebrate. But do you not realize that the sight of a baby boy would be a trigger to every other mother in the land? Have you not thought of this? That the joy and goodness of God coming to earth in the flesh also was a trigger to many people who were murdered in light of the fear of a tyrannical ruler who heard rumor of the king to come. Does this mean joy is this thing where we just ignore sadness? We just look away from grief and loss? No, not at all. By no means. See 2 Corinthians 6.10. Because the funny thing about human life since the fall, since Adam and Eve ate the fruit that they were not supposed to, is that sorrow is guaranteed in light of sin. Amen? And sorrow is something we never choose. Look at your neighbor and say, I didn't choose this. But joy is something we do. 
Throughout scripture, we see that joy is the choice to trust in God, in Jesus, that loss and sorrow will not be the final word, as I said before. Far from platitudes, like, uh, have you ever heard it'll all work out? Anybody ever hear your chin up buttercup? Anybody ever hear, I have another one written here, turn that frown upside down? Anybody got a favorite platitude they hate? Silver lining, that's another one. What about some other ones? What are your, what are your most annoying platitudes? Think of your dad, think of your mom, think of Gma. My dad always say, don't worry about it, son. I'm like, well, dad, they're outside. <laughs> I didn't worry about it. I need gas, I need $10. Don't worry about it, it'll work out, right? Platitudes are not joy. And try not to look at your partner, you know, if they're the ones that always say the platitude, by the way. <laughs> the funny thing is, is that these platitudes are not, are not even happiness. You know the funny thing? Actually, it's not in my notes. You know the funny thing about platitudes? Um, as I study trauma uh, in my day job, uh, oftentimes what trauma is, I mean what um, platitudes are, like chin up buttercup or silver lining, is actually not about you at all. It's about the person listening to you trying to dissociate from your pain. So they're trying to deflect to you a sentence that will get you to pull away the, dis, the, the, the disorienting effects of your emotional state. Right, right, right. It's like, I don't like that. Why don't you, yeah, it'll all work out. Which basically saying, shh. Basically saying, stop crying. Basically saying, stop worrying. Which what they really mean is, get your mess off my lawn. Get your mess away from my manger scene. But the funny thing is, is that Christian joy in this Advent season, Christian joy, Christian joy in this Advent season, (laughs) I'm neurodivergent. Can I do one more side quest with you? Say amen if that's all right. You ever heard of the term joy to the world? Yeah, it's Christmas time, right? What's that about? Baby Jesus. You know what's funny? That song was written by Isaac Watts, and it's based off Psalm 98. You know what Psalm 98's about? Psalm 98 is not about the birth of Jesus. It's about the Jesus that comes to judge. The song by Isaac Watts called Joy to the World actually has nothing to do with Jesus in the manger. It's all about not Jesus coming as a savior of the world, but Jesus who comes to judge it. I found that out, like, last night. <laughs> so I, mean, I could be like, oh, look what I do. Like, I was sh- shooketh too. Very shooketh, okay? But, but how apropos is this? That this song we, see, we sing recognizes Jesus' coming in a world that's broken to save it is actually us declaring, walking and chewing gum at the same time, the Jesus that will come to judge it. Has anyone ever seen something on the news or seen something in the world where you're like, you know what? God needs to judge this place, man. I don't know about you, but I see it all the time. Where I'm like, you know what? Stuff's so screwed up. God, come on, man. Bring the fire, bro. Like, come on, man. Let's be done with this. There's some suffering in life that makes you long for the justice of God. You're going to hear more about that next week. And what I'm here to tell you is that the joy to the world that you will hear and sing about is not something you're doing wrong. It's actually something that's very appropriate now. 
Do you see that in this Advent season of joy, we live between the, the, the birth of Jesus to save us and the return of Jesus to judge us? That inasmuch as the prophets and all, like most of the Old Testament, was calling forth to Jesus' birth, how much more scripture is calling forth to the time that we are awaiting now? His judgment. So yes, let's be in the Advent season of joy. The joy of God's justice, not just his goodness. Because Christian joy is a significant choice and behavior in light of the power of Jesus' life, love, and obedience to the Father. That's what the choice and behavior of biblical joy comes from. We walk and chew gum at the same time. We walk out the present suffering as we chew the, the, the foretaste of the goodness of God, only God's, God's Savior, God's, God's saving, God's saving grace, and his judgment. I had to find it, but I found it. So what's next, Michael? Well, I thought of a, a great metaphor. Um, anyone ever do marching band? Okay. Because God dropped this into me as clear as day, so I knew I was meant to say this. I've never done marching band. I know. I'm lost and found. <laughs> the thing is, the marching band, I had to look this up. Because I, I may not have been in marching band, but I saw a practice once. I know. Like, who is this guy? <laughs> but it matters. Just give me a second. Let me cook. I had to look. At, I remember I was walking um, out of school uh, in Flor- Lauderdale, Florida, Coal Springs to be exact. And I looked upon the football field and I saw all these, like, teenagers in different, you know, like, hoodies and different, you know, clothes. Not uniform. All, like, they all looked disheveled, they all looked exhausted, they all looked sweaty, <laughs> right? Marching band. And, you know, they, they're, they're, they're singing these ballads. They're preparing to sing ballads while doing intricate um, sequencing that is physically exhausting as entertainment to give a break between those who are battling on the field, licking their wounds in halftime and re-strategizing how to come out victorious. And they're the entertainment. And as I'm watching this group, they're all looking up. And they, they got these, these burdensome instruments, most of them. And I'm wondering, like, how the heck are they carrying that? You know, put it down, right? But then what happens, they're all looking up. And I, and I had to look up what it was. What is that thing called? And it's a director's podium, if I'm not mistaken. And in the director's podium, sitting above all of them, is the field conductor. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever seen like a NCAA game, like a Division I game? Yes? In your life? Okay. You saw, like, have you ever seen like the intricate movements they do? I saw one group one time, um, I forget what college it was, but they did Michael Jackson moonwalking. And I was like, what? While playing like a Michael Jackson song. Ohio State, thank you, Victoria. So, Michael, why are you talking about marching band when it's talking about Advent season? Here's why. As I looked at these wearisome and exhausted teenagers who all they could see next to them is chaos. You're moving around with this weighty stuff, but because they keep their eyes on the field conductor, it ends up as beauty. And I thought to myself, God gave me that image because that's joy. 
It is the choice and the behavior to look up. And that joy only comes if you look up. Not just down at a baby, but look to the one who came to save and judge the world. Because that's where we live now. The shepherds, and the, they, they, they were all waiting for the Jesus that came to save. He's available to you. That joy is available to you today. Here's the thing. Whether you choose and live in that behavior or not, judgment is coming for us all. Amen? And there's enough suffering in the world that I think to let us say, well, you know what? Maybe judgment isn't such a bad thing. But the funny thing about judgment is, is that Jesus, the one who came to save us, the baby Jesus, he took all that comes with what you would be judged for. He took it all. He took it all. What joy should the Christian have in his heart and her heart? What joy? I have mucked up my life. My life is mucky even without my doing. And yet I can chew the gum of the goodness that I will know. The foretaste of the land I will dance and sing and frolic and drink wine in. With a healthy body, with healthy relationships. And a healthy laugh. Here's the thing. Can you breathe in that joy? Can you breathe in the hope of God, the goodness of God? For those watching online, is this a joy that you long for too? It's available to you. All you need to do is invite the centerpiece and the source of that joy into your heart. Not just into your heart, but again, he's not just a savior, but Lord. That also means not just giving him your destination, but giving him your now. Total authority. I stand before you as the worst of sinners. I stand before you as someone who wrestles, who's never wrestled to make him savior, but has always wrestled to let him be the Lord that he is worthy of being. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he's not a tyrannical leader. He's not going to try to control you into obedience. He invites you. Like a beautiful dance partner, that's not going to make you dance. But only if you want, I will guide you in ways you've never been guided before. And once you take the hand of Jesus, the Savior and Judge, he will gently guide you into who you were always meant to be. That doesn't mean suffering goes away. But it means that the, that the bitter taste of human history doesn't stay. Because human history is no longer your destination. The kingdom of heaven is. So, I'm going to read a psalm to you. It's called Psalm 28. Everybody say Psalm 28. And I'm going to wrap up with this. Um, I had it up and then I looked up Psalm 98 and I got excited about that. So, you know. But listen to the psalm of David. Listen to it. I'm read it twice. To you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I will be like those who go down to the pit. Sanchez saying, I'm going to be dead. Without your help. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help. As I lift my hands toward you, your most holy place. Do not drag me away with the wicked. 
with those who do evil, who speak cordially with their neighbors, who harbor malice in their hearts for those that live near them. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work, calling for God to be the just God that he is. Judge them accordingly, O Lord. Repay them for what their hands have done and bring back on them what they deserve, because they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord and what his hands have done. He will tear them down and never build them up again. Yet, there's a shift. Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. The heart, my heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy. And with my song, I praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Full stop. Full stop. When I read this scripture, I thought halfway through the scripture that God had answered his prayer. Amen? He's praising God as if it's answered. But what is joy? Walking and doing what? At the same time. So with the, with the thought of joy, hear it again. And I ask you the question, did God answer it? Yet. To you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. For if you remain silent, I will be like those who go down to the depths and down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help. This is a man pleading. As I call to you for help, as I lift my hands toward your most holy place, do not drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, who speak cordially with their neighbors and harbor malice in, in their hearts against them. Repay them for their deeds and for their evil work. Repay them for what their hands have done and bring back on them what they deserve. Judge them, God. Save me. Because they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord and what his hands have done, he will tear them down and never build them up again. Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy and with my song I praise him. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress of salvation for his anointed one. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. I ask you again. Is that the song of praise of someone who already has the answer to prayer or is chewing on the gum of the God who answers prayer? There's a Psalm 28 in your heart. But you have to make a choice to express it. You have to lean into the behavior of joy. That doesn't say that you have to deny your suffering. We see David screaming for help and praising to the God who does what? H-E-L-P. Help. He helped when he sent Jesus. He helped when he sent prophets. He helped when he delivered the people of Israel. And he helped when he delivered you. He helped you in that small prayer you forgot you prayed at the birth of your children. I don't know about you, but as a father, I beg God, please let this go well. I never felt so powerless in my life. Not just for my wife, but my newborn son and daughter. God answered that prayer, amen? Did he not answer your prayers? That is who you're crying for help to. And that is why you have joy. So with that, in the, in the space between his first coming as Savior and his second coming as judge, we say, and I say with you, joy to the world.